A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, listeners. Welcome to episode 125 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report's 2nd Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me like a Hydra spanner in every smuggler's toolkit, the EU guru himself, the count of two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hail Hydro Spanner! <laughs> I like that. That's been a big, big time around here, folks. If you haven't been uh, uh, following, of course, you heard about it in, I guess it was our last episode, Rebels Roundtable, the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable, the new show that's going to be dedicated primarily to uh, Star Wars Rebels, has gotten off the ground. We just did some fun recording. We've recorded our final episode that basically makes that uh, RFRN, Republic Forces Radio Network, epilogue slash uh, Rebels Roundtable prelude thing. Uh, uh, lots of stuff going on out there for that, so we would be remiss if we didn't start off by reminding you again of where you can find that so you can pick up the new show with all the special exclusive content that's just in that feed. Because if you're in the RFRN feed right now, you only have two more episodes to go, and then there's nothing else coming into that feed you want to jump over. So... The website, of course, is rebelsroundtable.com. You can catch us on Facebook, facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable. You can then catch us on Twitter at rebelsround. Subscribe to us directly through our FeedBurner feed, which is feeds.feedburner.com slash rebelsround, just like the Twitter feed. Don't use the whole name. That's a different feed. Uh, and also, you can, of course, catch us on iTunes, where we'd certainly love for those who are picking it up early to uh, drop in a review if you feel so inclined. But it is out there, it is building, and pretty soon you'll be hearing the episode in which Mark joined us that wound up being kind of the big extravaganza of wrapping up uh, what amounts to the official RFRN run with the epilogue there. So it has been a fun podcasting time recently between this show uh, and the new one here. It's a party here at the 2nd Airborne Division, and we're having fun. I'm into that. And you know, I realized today, I'm sitting down about an hour before we're recording this and happen to look at the date. And I've been so wrapped up in this whole, okay, all right, man, May 15th, AP World History exam for my students. Got to focus on that. And then, okay, uh, wife's next medical procedure, 22nd, got to focus in on that. That it didn't even strike me until we were sitting here. I'm looking at the date and I'm like, why does that look familiar? We're recording this on May 16th. And it struck me, oh, that is... Two things. It is the 12th anniversary today, as of the time we're recording this, of Attack of the Clones. And by extension, that means that we're recording this on the 12th anniversary um, that I've had of starting podcasting at all. Uh, I've been podcasting since 12 years ago today with the first episode of Chrono Radio. Uh, and it doesn't even remotely feel like it's been that long. It's, it's bizarre. But then again, I, I hear adult life blends together. Yeah, 12 years of Star Wars talk radio from Nathan. That's 
Wow. Ridiculous. That's, that's older than my kids. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm getting to the point where in a few years I'll be teaching kids as old as my podcasting, and I'm not sure if that's creepy or not. Speaking of creepy. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we explore reactions to the Legends announcement. Phantom has many points of view, and here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we feel that no fan should be left behind, and no point of view unheard. So consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. That's right, and recently you probably heard our episode in which we talked about our own impressions of the whole canon announcement back on April 25th, where they basically said that the previously existing official continuity within the expanded universe, that is going to be legend, and then you've got this new canon, whatever you want to call it, uh, Mark's been calling it D or Disney canon, I've been calling it story group canon because it's canon as directed by them, um, there really isn't a name for it, right now they're just calling it Star Wars canon, all kind of lumped mm -hmm. together. Um, Saga. But we had, alongside our episode, the episode in which we had a lot of feedback from the audience talking about their thoughts on this whole thing, and most of them were relatively positive, or at least they were, if they were not happy with it, it was sort of a moderate unhappy waiting to see where the future goes. And one thing that we both kind of noticed is that one voice was specifically missing amongst the people that usually write into the show. And this is someone that I've known for quite a while in the fandom community. Uh, it's a man by the name of Andrew Gilbertson. He's the guy that spearheaded the uh, Star Wars Marvel's uh, fan audio drama series. He has been part of multiple, multiple podcasts. Uh, right now, it's under the miniscope. His Doctor Who podcast is the main one uh, that you can find him and his wife featured in. And he's a guy that I've met a couple times in person. I mean, just, just one of the people that I would list probably as one of the good guys out there in fandom. So I found it somewhat of a surprise. I say somewhat because I guess I'm, I'm, I'm back and forth on whether it really was a surprise or not. Um, that he had a very strong reaction to this announcement uh, in a very negative light. Very much disagreeing with what was done and not liking what was done. And when we got to the end of that episode, realizing that he hadn't written in, you might recall we actually talked about it at the end. You know, wow, you know, we didn't hear this coming in. Uh, his opinion wasn't in here. And because his was very much the polar opposite of a lot of the ones that we showed on the show or that you heard on the show, we decided to basically ask him, hey, we know you got strong thoughts on this. Would you want to provide those to the show so we can give some reaction to these? And one of the things that you'll always find with Andrew is that when he writes, he's very well-spoken in his ideas, someone who really has a good way of carrying across what it is that he's trying to say in a way that's engaging and thought-provoking at the same time. So we wind up with something that is a rather large email, almost like a, a treatise or an essay on this idea of why this was a bad call. And because it happens to be him writing in that particular writing style, I think it's something that you'll find engaging. We want to devote most, if not all, of this episode, depending on length, to that email and our reactions to it. Because I think he speaks very well 
for the segment of fandom that are really critical of this decision and who really don't see necessarily a way that this is going to turn out well, or at least not many ways that it could turn out well, seeing it more in a pessimistic light than optimistic. Yeah, I know. I know that was one of the things that wasn't even talked about before when we were doing the last episode of that, where, you know, I had mentioned it and then you had said the same thing. It was just kind of like we both came to that same conclusion, like, you know, where's Andrew's opinion here? Because I, I see myself as very bipolar on the subject. You know, I'm trying desperately to be as, as positive and optimistic about things as I can be. But there's that other side of me, you know, that devil's advocate that's just whispering in my ear going, they killed it. They killed it all. Bail. Bail now while you can. You know, and I'm just like, do I listen? I'm like, shut up, you. Get in the closet. I don't know. I just go mm. back and forth. So I was kind of looking forward to hearing what Andrew had to say. And as of this point, I have yet to even read the email and stuff. So it's going to be pretty fun to see, uh, you know, where we go. Because I, I'm sure I'm going to be agreeing with a lot of things and probably disagreeing with a few too. And probably be having my eyes peeled back to things that I hadn't even thought of. So I'm kind of looking forward to this. Yeah, it's funny. I think people kind of expect us because we are a Star Wars Expanded Universe based show for the most part that we'd be coming down on this extremely negatively. Um, I get the same kind of expectations, I think, on my Star Wars Timeline Gold's Facebook page and kind of have us thinking, wait a second, you know, there are ways to adapt to this, so I'm just going to adapt the timeline and such. Um, but I had posted, you know, when we saw the post today, that today was the day that Episode 7 officially began filming, um, it's the, the headline that I first saw was, Episode 7 begins shooting! And upon seeing that, coming from a family who's big on puns, I mean, my dad's favorite Christmas joke is, did you know the three wise men were firemen? Yeah, because they came from afar. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Horrible joke. Um, but, you know, lots of puns in the family and all. So I saw that, and then I posted, uh, without happening to attribute it for once, um, to, you know, Episode 7 begins shooting. Uh, the Expanded Universe took most of the bullets, and it is still on life support. But as a joke, and we immediately got the, oh, you guys are being too hard on it, you're, you know, people taking it seriously. So uh, maybe this is more of what folks expected from us. Um, just happened to not turn out that way. I'm going to try to break this from time to time um, so that we can add in some thoughts in response, because he does deal with a lot of individual ideas as it goes along. Okay. So... It starts, Hi there, Mark and Nathan. It's Andrew Gilbertson, the original Star Wars pessimist. How did I take the EU slash Legends announcement? Well, let's just say that to everyone who wished me a May the 4th be with you, I responded, Yeah, just in time to mourn its passing. I am not good with this. Not that there's anything I can do about it. I'm trying to avoid such a dramatic pronouncement as, I'm no longer a Star Wars fan. I'm a Star Wars Legends fan because I still love the original trilogy, and I still want to give Episode 7 a chance. But such a dramatic statement is close to how I feel. Nearly everything I care about in Star Wars has just been cordoned off from what I consider garbage. Again, original trilogy accepted, they remain in the wrong camp. A lot of people are enthusiastic about this shift to Legends. I can't see it as anything other than a death. Legends, in this case, is just another word for infinities. And I've seen this same thing happen to Star Trek and Doctor Who. The visual productions are over. A thriving expanded universe of interconnected stories going in their own bold new direction springs up, gains massive following. Dozens of authors contribute, a concrete, tangible, what happened after storyline is built, then a Christopher Eccleston, 
or a Star Trek The Motion Picture come along, establish a new video canon that goes in a different direction, and those stories die a quick death. Poll how many people have sought out a Lung Barrow or the Faction Paradox series that know who Katik, if I'm saying that right, the Glass Spider, or Mr. Narot, he's really killing me because I can't pronounce that either, or the Horta Lieutenant R, see I could pronounce that one, and you'll find very, very few. And most of those few are probably familiar with it because they read it back in the day, before Star Trek and Doctor Who came back. Well, now, Star Wars is back. And I honestly feel that Star Wars fans are kidding themselves if they don't see Grand Admiral Thrawn, Mara Jade, Jason and Jaina Solo, Kyle Katarn, Wraith Squadron, the Yuuzhan Vong, and Cade Skywalker, along with the rest, destined for the same imminent obscurity. After all, why would a young Star Wars fan, watching flashy new movies and cartoons, want to pick up some 20-year-old book about a bunch of characters they've never seen that doesn't even fit in with the stories that they're enjoying? No. To my mind, the EU is over, and anyone trying to tell me otherwise is trapped in a world of wishful thinking. It's like one of Coruscant's underlevels. It used to touch the sky, be thriving and well-populated, but it got paved over, and now only a few dwellers in the dark, throwbacks huddled in rags trying to relive the glory days, still dwell there. And yes, I'm pretty much describing me. Everyone else has moved on to the new level built on top of it. It happened with Marvel Comics Star Wars, an obscure curiosity that some like to venture into and few authors like to retcon or reference, but very few outside of a small core anachronism fan community are actually passionate or active fans of, and very few are actively familiar with in their fandom beyond uh, that thing with the green rabbit and didn't Lumaya start there? Well, that's the EU. I can't believe any differently. I've seen it happen too often. Just as the modern EU paved over the Marvel comics pre-Bantam era, so will it itself be paved over by this new Episode 7 continuity. And everything we loved faces obscurity, held and embodied by us, but no one else. A last generation carrying the torch, the EU slowly dying off as we do. No fresh blood coming to take up its cause. Cheery, huh? Let's cut there uh, and go to Mark first for comment well you know there's a lot of things here that that i do it, it have that devil's advocate whispering in my ear i mean I, i'm right there with you and understanding where you're coming from um and i do feel like one of those people that have been left behind in the underworld uh you know so far below everyone else uh the infinities you know a lot of people say this you know now it's just glorified fanfic and I get where you're coming from, and, 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 and more I'm focusing on those that say it's glorified fanfic especially, but I, I think that's a denial And also because these people weren't just throwing the stories out there. Now anybody's going to be doing fanfic, and it can fit a lot more, but at that time, these were commissioned stories, and you know, I, I think like with Andrew and with me and you, it's like we were kind of like fed the lie. I mean, you know, it was like Lucas has always been telling us there's two universes, you know, and yet when it came to the purchasing side of things – that's not what they've been telling us. So it's hard for me to say it's as bad as or, or not as bad because Infinities were good. There were, there were some good stories set in the Infinities. But to me, I still see I see it more as a multiverse where while and this gets to the next part, too, is it while it seems to be dead and not moving forward, uh, it's not the zombie EU that we were getting before. We actually know flat out that, yes, this this incarnation right now is dead. I mean, they haven't full on said it, but that's what we're we're seeing. The only thing living at this point is the old Republic MMO, uh, and the content there is, I believe, is being scaled 
back or down to uh, be more kind of what lines with canon, but they're not kind of focusing on it at all. So, you know, if we get no new Legends material, I, I, I get how a lot of people feel like, you know, well, it's, it's gone and dead, but it still exists as a universe within itself. And the old rules that applied to it before, you know, like, well, this this was a S level canon and it applies to here and all that stuff that that still falls under itself. It treats itself like its own serious continuity. It is still that one continuity of Star Wars that was beyond the films. And to me, that that will always be near and dear to me. And I think that we, the old guard in this regard, kind of need to take it upon ourselves to to show the next generation that, hey, you know, while there is this new cool Star Wars out there, there was also this other one that had equally cool stories and adventures. And if you hadn't seen it and stuff, it's just as new and, and fresh to you as it is to the people getting the stuff that's coming off the off the films. Granted, with the films and stuff, you're going to get that flashy, flashy, cool stuff. But getting to the other point, you said you, you nailed the hammer right on the nail when you mentioned about the old Marvel and stuff. I mean, what we're going to see with dark horse, it'll become the old dark horse. And we're going to see kind of what happened with the old Marvel stuff as Lamaya and things like that got picked up and brought into the old C canon. You're going to see something similar with the film canon, the D canon that I talk about, you know, with characters being picked up and, and used Quinlan Voss is a prime example of this, you know, the Quinlan Voss that made it to canon is not the same Quinlan Voss that we remember from Republic. You know, I mean, he had the same likenesses, but when he spoke and stuff, there was nothing about that Quinlan Voss that reminded me anything of the comic character. You know, so, I mean, you've got stuff like that as they move forward and they decide to take a name of a character, you know, Amara Jade for Rebels, for example. We, we don't know that's going to happen, but they could easily take her, use elements about her character that were the same and then go off in a totally new direction because they can. Uh, you know, it, it, that's that weird angle about it. Um, but I don't necessarily think it's going to fall into obscurity as as a lot of people think it will. I mean, there are a lot of really good stories. I think what we're going to get, though, is is of all the stories in the EU, you're going to notice a lot of, of the ones that are kind of like the, the, the cherry, you know, the, the ones, the cream of the crop that rise to the top in this aspect. Uh, the fan favorites, you know, you're going to have books like Traitor and, and Revenge of the Sith and Star by Star and uh, the some of the Darth Bane novels, the different ones that different people like. Of course, Heir to the Empire of the Thrawn stuff is going to be up there, uh, Dark Empire and stuff like that. But I think we're going to see more books and stuff that people might not have thought would fall under that. Like, I mean, I think some people are going to be like, oh, I like the Jaden Core stuff, you know, and, and things like that. Um, some people are going to probably like the zombie stuff. But I think it's going to be one of those moments where you're able to look across fandom and kind of see which ones were the, the prime examples of the best of the EU. And I, I don't think that those will ever fall away to obscurity. I mean, you know, people still talk about Rogues and the and the Wraith Squadron and, and would still love to see them brought in. And I think that that's something, too, that even though this new canon is walking away from the EU, doesn't mean that we as fans, you know, are going to have to watch it all fall. I mean, we could still be like, we want to see these characters, even if they're not going to be the same we saw them as. We'd love to see them make that jump. Uh, you know, and in that regard, for me, it's like if they decide to make that Daisy Ridley girl a Jaina solo, I will be OK with that because, I mean, I would love to be able to say that my daughter's still named after Han and Leia's kids without having to say my my daughter's named after Han and Leia's legendary character, the Legends character. You know, then you got to explain all that as it gets a little confusing. But that's the aspect of it that I think for fans in the fandom is rough because you're sitting here, you're like trying to explain, you know, what has happened to your fandom. It's huge to us, but to somebody that has no idea about anything in the online Star Wars community, they're looking at you like, what are you freaking out about? And yet, meanwhile, you're like, I can't hold the ceiling up anymore. There's too many rocks falling through. 
Now, having already read the rest of his email, uh, we're going to get back to it here in a second. I kind of know where certain things are going. I don't want to wind up saying something that he's going to wind up saying well later. Um, but I would say that, you know, Infinity's has always been a little bit different. Infinities was this idea that it opened up Star Wars to multiple universes, multiple continuities, multiple timelines, whatever. It's just that generally these were done for parody purposes or for dedicated what-if stories that didn't last beyond their individual series, like Infinities and New Hope and such. Um, in a sense, that is kind of what they're doing with Legends, um, but they are still denoting the fact that it is the Legends continuity, that this is it's instead saying, you know, well, here's a bunch of small non-connected stories, they are still all connected, it's just an alternate timeline. But in the sense that, yes, they're basically saying this is not part of the real Star Wars universe, that's essentially the same thing that uh, the Infinity's label was initially meant to do. Um, so I can agree with them, I guess, on that point. I would say that um, it is different. Um, the whole idea of like Quinlan Boss being carried over, or to have some character carried over from the, the Legends continuity, or whatever you want to call it, into the films or into the new canon, that that's not the same thing as them going back and grabbing Lumaya from the Marvel comics. Because by the time they went back and grabbed Lumaya from the Marvel comics, the Marvel comics themselves were in continuity with that timeline. This was not an alternate version of Lumaya that happened to exist in this reality. It was the same exact Lumaya from the Marvel comics. This would be more like back when the idea was that the Marvel comics weren't in continuity at all. They were kind of left out in the cold back early on in the prior EU or the Legends continuity to come in and say we're going to bring over an Iskalonian. And you may remember there was a lot of freakout when Star Wars Gamer, I think it was, had an article in it that brought back some of the Marvel species for role-playing without much in the way of story background or anything because that made people go, holy crap, maybe they're going to bring the Marvel stuff in. Eventually they and did. And they <laughs> Eventually they did. Eventually this... You know, some of these stories might be brought in, but I doubt it, um, which makes it somewhat of a different case. You know, it's just as much as I look at it and say, oh, my God, I can't believe they took Quinlan Voss and turned him into a beach bum. That's not my Quinlan Voss, you know, when it comes to being a fan of Legends. So I think my reaction to seeing Quinlan Voss brought from the Republic comics into the Clone Wars and have him be such a completely different character, he might as well not even be the same character. It's kind of the way that he's feeling and many would feel about having characters brought over from the EU into this new canon only to wind up being so different. It's very much like Dave Filoni and Lucas's way uh, back with the Clone Wars of saying, see, we brought this thing over from the EU. We love it too. Granted, we changed everything you loved about it, but we love it too. Um, I don't see as how that is at all going to be a comfort to those um, who are concerned. I mean, I, I like the idea of it being a tip of the hat. I can't imagine it being a real comfort to anything. And I do agree, actually, with Andrew about the idea that it may not be in the next few years, but in the next generation, or couple generations, certainly within the span of a lifetime of this new canon that may be as long as the lifetime of the Legends continuity, eventually the Legends stuff will be those obscure things. Heck, even now, the Han Solo adventures and Lando Calrissian adventures, Splinter of the Mind's Eye even in modern continuity, are still looked at as those weird old ones that were part of the Legends continuity. Um, now you've got these that aren't part of the current continuity at all that are going to slowly start to fade. I don't see any way for them to not be obscure, and the more they pick and choose and say, hey, here's these crown jewels, check these out, you're still going to have a lot of new fans who don't want to check them out because it's an alternate continuity. Same th way that I feel about most sci-fi spinoff materials of most franchises I read, unless it's an official continuation like the Farscape comics, screw it, as far as I'm concerned. 
Um, yeah. And um, the ones that that uh, aren't reprinted, that, that demand doesn't keep them in print, uh, to put it the way that Disney put it, um, those are going to fall even more into obscurity. You know, ask someone 30 years from now about Ruins of Dantooine. They won't know what the hell you're talking about. So I am with them on, on that regard as far as what's going to happen to this particular continuity. Well, I want to ask you real quick, you know, when it comes to Voss and how the character was so different for you, uh, you know, maybe you can answer this for me, kind of going towards what Andrew's going with. But like Battlestar Galactica and how they brought in Starbuck and they changed that character but also stayed true to a lot of the things about that character – I mean, if they did it in a, in a regard like that, where it is staying more, you know, in line with with a vision of the character without having to stick with all the backstories and stuff like that. I mean, you think something like that would be able to be something that they could do that would actually, you know, keep your interest versus what they did with Voss, where they brought him in, kept all the likeness and then just totally just made him so different where he was just kind of like, oh, that's grating. Oh, I mean, I'm I'm fine with the idea of an alternate version of Voss, even if he's not the Voss that I would have wanted to see. But it's the fact that this is an alternate boss. This is not meant to be the original one. In this case, it was supposed to fit with that continuity and what's coming now, but that kind of messed things up with boss's characterization there. But what you've yeah. got with Starbuck is an exact example of what can happen with this new canon, but it's exactly why I think those who have Andrew's point of view uh, and many fans' point of view with regard to Legends versus this new canon, why they're so angry, why they're so annoyed. Because no matter how much Kara Thrace... As Star, uh, you know, the, the the character named Kara Thrace with the code name mm -hmm. Starbuck, call sign Starbuck in the new Battlestar Galactica was like the old Starbuck or the Cylons. Some of those early model Cylons in the modern show uh, were like the Cylons back in the original show. The old and new show were not the same timeline, not the same continuity, not related to each other aside from concepts. They were the original and a reboot, and that's basically what Star Wars is doing now: the original and a reboot. It doesn't matter if almost every single character aspect of a Star Wars character like, say, Mara Jade is brought over from the old EU into the new canon. Unless you have some kind of tale where she's being pulled across dimensions or something, it's still an alternate reality version of the character from the past, who's going to wind up doing different things now. So for those who are really focused on the character development as it existed in Legends, it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough of bringing that over because it's still not the same character. I mean, it, it's the difference between, for instance, um, take Star Wars, uh, Star Wars, uh, uh, Star Trek. It's so similar now. Um, take Star Trek under J.J. Abrams. Right? Um, we are able to, in a sense, feel like the new Spock, Zachary Quinto's Spock, um, is at least somewhat the same Spock that we knew and loved from before because of the time travel aspect of the story. The timeline has been altered, but it's still the same spot, only now he's making different choices along yeah. the way. This Star Wars reboot, so to speak, has no such connection. The mm -hmm. brilliance of Star Trek, the film from J.J. Abrams and what came afterwards, is they're retelling familiar stories in different ways, especially with Into Darkness, but they're doing it in the context of an altered timeline based on time travel. There is yeah. nothing like that for Star Wars. This is not the same universe written over again, and we see how things turn out slightly differently in some cases. This is, might as well be a separate parallel universe completely and never the twain shall meet. They just happen mm -hmm. to have significant similarities, such as the events of the films and the Clone Wars and uh, that wind up taking place in both. 
like any yeah. other parallel reality story, any other media tie-in with multiple licenses. Basically, Star Wars now, with Legends and this new canon, in some respects, uh, if you assume that new ca- the new canon books and stuff can be thought of as uh, an alternate reality equal to the other, as opposed to the whole, yeah. it's more real, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But think of it as two continuities. It's basically like what we had at the beginning of Star Wars publishing. The novels were their own thing. The comics were their own thing. The newspaper strips were the own thing. It was only later when the Expanded Universe concept began in 91 that some of those got brought back in to this new continuity and all of a sudden existed together. But they were never meant to back from 76 to 1990. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that that appealed to me about this is, is everything you say makes sense. Except for I would like to see some characters like like Jaina and Mara kind of, you know, make that jump like Han, Luke and Leia. Han, Luke and Leia are going to be there no matter what. And we're going to see an alternate version of them. And I'm excited for that. But at the same time, I would like to see, you know, some of those characters that had been there get the same kind of jump, you know, to, to have that legitimate. Like they were legitimately considered Star Wars enough that we're going to introduce them to the film fans, even if it is in a new way that has nothing really to do with what they were, but maybe say one physical likeness in a name, mm-hmm. you know, or something like that. I'd be okay with that because that's, that's what we're getting with Han, Luke and Leia. And it's cool to, for me in that regard to think that, you know, that these characters had that kind of fan mainstay that they made that jump. I mean, Quinlan Voss and Aaliyah Secura to a degree, they managed to make that jump early enough that it wasn't a jump. It was just something that happened. But I, I would be okay with that moving forward if, if, if as you say, and, and the way you describe it, if they took some of the EU characters and they made the leap. Yeah, I guess the other, only other thing I would add to this is that just struck me as you were talking about that ex- obscurity. Um, this will be, I would argue this will be even more prevalent when it comes to the video games. Because not only do you have the fact that it's going to be, you know, perhaps decades down the line that we're looking back at the books and the comics. Decades down the line, looking back at the video games... Most of them probably won't be available even through emulators on current mainstream video game systems. Try uh, playing the old, I don't know, the Atari Star Wars game or the old uh, arcade Star Wars game um, with a PlayStation 4 or an Xbox One now. There's no availability to do that. Um, Yes, we could play it on some older systems we might still have, but over time, eventually, the viability of the video game uh, media for long-running stories that can... Uh, stay in the public eye is going to start to fade. All right, so we left Time off. Time moves on, and so must we. <laughs> right, so he ended that little segment, and I'm, I'm breaking these into segments. He did not with cheery, huh? We pick up with, but that's how I see it. It saddens me, and it makes me mad for a number of reasons. It's why I'm so gloomy about Star Wars and why I'm so dubious about its future. Firstly, for me, it's a matter of legacy. No, not Cade and Crate. The legacy of Star Wars that I can pass on. In a little over a month, I'm going to become a father. And there is nothing more in terms of Star Wars that I would love to be able to pass on to my son than the things that inspired me. The Last Command as the first novel I ever read. John Williams' music played over and over until the cassette was worn out. A universe of essential guides and West End Games role-playing source books that created a universe vast and consistent and inspiring. Fuel for the imagination. All those stories with their clever concepts and creative characters and wonderful yub-yub commander humor. Admittedly, the Star Wars universe I'd have to give him today is a little different already from the admittedly nostalgia-biased one that infused my childhood. The universe, with publications like the Essential Atlas and the like, has grown almost too vast to keep track of in that way. Overwhelmingly large. Where the Essential Vehicles and Vessels was awesome, because it was a tome full of unique starships that nonetheless was close to a comprehensive volume of all that there were, 
expansive but not too expansive to be relatable, the prequel era has ushered in an explosion of ships and planets and aliens that, like the ongoing wave after wave of new Pokemon, makes it harder to invest in any of them because there are far too many to ever reasonably wrap one's head around. The new Jedi Order Onward stories have done some crummy stuff that I don't like and darkened, even muddled, the universe that I loved. Prequel references have seeped in where I'd rather they hadn't. Characters I loved were lost. The Clone Wars, he's talking about the cartoon series, which I, in the extreme minority, continue to detest, got added inextricably to the mix. I'm not going to claim that the EU remained an unspoiled paragon of everything I loved about it, or was without its flaws, even from my fandom, or that all those things I didn't care about were actually bad for that matter, not just for me. But everything I loved about it was still there. The truth of the matter is, though, that the EU is vast. And the only reason to begin fording that mountain, and certainly while I loathe and dispute the notion that continuity overbuilds and must be chipped away like accumulated barnacle to make a property accessible, I can certainly acknowledge that the EU has grown formidable, is a love of Star Wars. A passion for it that makes one want to discover everything there is to discover about it. And so, while I can give my son the Thrawn novels and hope something sparks, introduce him to Rogue Squadron and hope it'll take, he's not going to want to discover and experience everything I did unless he falls in love with Star Wars. And if he does, he's far more likely, as I was in reading Bantam and Dark Horse in my day rather than old Marvel comics, to want to learn about where Star Wars is now, what its current universe is. A lot more people pick up the morning paper to see what's going on in the world than an archaeological textbook to see what was going on in civilization's past. It's unlikely, with the EU and the ongoing franchise separate, that my kid, or any new Star Wars fans, unless they grow up to have a love of the retro, are going to take to the stories that I loved. I can't bestow that legacy on him. Even if I do bestow a love of Star Wars, it won't be the same Star Wars that filled my dreams, that I wanted to share in common with him. All those characters and stories that I saw as so real, that I wanted to meet, that dwelt in my dreams, those will stay locked up in my own skull, discussed with fellow fans of my generation, but they won't be the province of a new generation. We'll take a break there again. Mark? Yeah, now you're making me sad, Andrew. <laughs> Gloomy, man. Once again, you nail how I feel. Uh, you know, my blues, in fact, have crossed into my daily life. Uh, you know, I, I my birthday's this Sunday, and we were going to go up to a campground, and it's way out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody's there. We're going to go, and boom, Boy Scouts are having a jamboree up there. I'm like, are you kidding me? Of all things, Scouts, like, you know, not only am I getting, taking one on the chin, I'm taking it from an organization I practically bleed for, you know, and then I have the, the EU aspect of things, everything going on with Legends on top of it. It's like, it's so hard. As soon as I got that news to just not get so upset, angry, and depressed, and, and right now, I mean, I mean, Anything that gets me down has just like taken me down. Uh, and, and I know that this is part of it. I keep telling my wife that, you know, I'm like, I'm still coming to grips with all this news. I mean, it, it's it is so hard just to to read that one article from Star Wars and wrap your brain around it and do the old unlearn what you have learned. I mean, as a fan in the last 10 years of my fandom, that phrase has at times been used to just set me off when it comes to my fandom it feels like such an insult sometimes with the way it gets used and so i go back and forth when it comes to that kind of stuff i mean i keep going back and forth and sure new stuff's going to be coming out but the fact that so many cool things that we were already getting were put on hold and flat out canceled you know some of the the games from ea and stuff like that 
you know, there was so much taken away that right now all that we've really been given is the promise of all these things. You know, you, Star Wars Weekends, they're showing uh, characters from Rebels, you know, a show that all we've gotten so far is a few little clips for, but we're all assuming it's going to be so great that we're all in love with these characters who we've never even seen or witnessed. I mean, what if it was Pong Krell? I mean, stop and think about that for a minute. What if Ezra was Pong Krell? We all thought Pong Krell was awesome, and then we saw him on the screen. I So, you know, there's that side of of, of fandom and, and, the, and the just the visceral love for everything and, and just the, yeah, I want everything else. And, and I don't care that we're throwing it all behind because there's new stuff coming. Like, there's a part of me that gets sick of that. You know I mean? It's like, it's like, this is what's wrong with our fandom. We can't hold on to the things we love, you know, which, which gets me to what you were talking about the new Jedi order moving forward. I mean, for me, I love the new Jedi order. It was, it was darkness forward. That, that was rougher for me. kind of muddied my fandom waters. Uh, you know, I, I thought what they were doing with Jason Solo was really cool right up until the middle of darkness. And I'm like, wait, this isn't he's not looking so rogue Jedi anymore. This is looking dark. And then it was like, wait, you're committing to the dark. What the heck? He learned all this really cool stuff in the new Jedi order. And you're going to boop, boop all over it. What the hell? But it, it, that, and that's where, you know, gets to my next point from what you said, that the hope that sparks when you're talking about your kids. Uh, you know, my kids are uh, are 11 going on 12 and, and just turned 10. And then my youngest is two. And, you know, Gavin, he's in fourth grade and he's at the prime age where he can be reading these Star Wars books. And while they've read them and I've read them to them while they were younger, they've read some of the Jaina ones. They've read the Anakin ones uh, and stuff like that. But they haven't had that spark to the, the, the ignition of the fire. You know, there's nothing that's lit that fire to make them want to grab the next book. They did that with the Anakin series. They read those six books. Uh, when it came to Jason and Jaina, they just read a few. So it's like I, I and I wanted to keep it kind of like, you know, the age level they were. So then I gave my son the Bubba Fett books and he read the first three, but then kind of got bored. And I'm just like, man, you know, it's like he gets bored. And that, I think, is part of the, the, the downside that you're talking about here. I mean, they're, you're right. They're, there's a generational gap there that the newer generations aren't going to be as as fevered, as thirsty, as a desert without rain as we were when it came to absorbing the new EU material stuff. At the same time, though, the powers that are behind the new story group moving forward are the type that really got into that, that feeling of one whole story. And what we're getting to move forward, it's almost like the opposite of what we're trying to do with our kids in this regard, but needs to happen to us. You know, are we going to be drawn in enough that we're going to want to absorb all that stuff in the same way we did with our EU stuff? And will it matter to us or will our love for the EU stuff taint it so that we can't enjoy the new stuff moving forward? And, and I think about that all the time because I, you know, I, I try to look at it in a, in a good light. But when there's something that you like better out there, it's really hard. I mean, it takes Spider-Man. You know, if you like the original Spider-Man stuff, you're not going to really care for the new stuff. But if you're able to see the two existing side by side, it might be a little easier to swallow. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying both of those. And I keep hoping I'm going to do the same thing when it comes to Star Wars. Yeah, I'm not sure that I really have – I mean, I, I don't have a child of my own, so I can't really – and that I'm sure of. Um, I can't really say uh, from a father's perspective what I would expect uh, of trying to pass on the love of Star Wars to my children. I will say, though, that he makes a good point and does recognize that uh, the EU is extremely expansive, uh, perhaps almost too much so. Um, but I would argue that, uh, and this is something that came up on our Facebook page, I think it was, either for the timeline or for this, um, when we're talking about where the saga's going and everything, um, it was getting to a point where it was so large 
that I think it was already somewhat off-putting for new fans. That's why they kept trying to do all this accessibility stuff, which wound up oftentimes turning into stuff that just didn't match and was kind of crappy. Um, but um, you do have that whole issue of, well, if, if we kept this in continuity, say they were to keep the films in continuity with Legends and hadn't bumped it or anything like that, then you would have had that argument of, well, you're basically going to require people who want to understand the new films to read these books and these comics and that sort of thing, and that would be off-putting, and Disney would never have done that. Someone also made the counter-argument on our Facebook page, or one of them, and said, yes, but what they're doing now is essentially saying, if you really want the full Star Wars story, it's not just you have to watch the films, oh, and now you've got to read all these new novels and things to get the backstory, because it's all canon, but also, they're basically saying, and this was true with the Legends continuity too, just with some train wreck involved, um, you also have to watch these six seasons of this cartoon whose quality varied wildly and that many older Star Wars fans aren't going to want to even try. Uh, he deals with this to a degree later on. Um, but yeah, I can I could definitely see the point there. Now, at this point in his email, he diverts off for a moment uh, into a, sort of a, an aside before coming back for the main purpose here, and he mentioned, you know, well, drop it, keep it, whatever, but I think some of his uh, insights from other fans that he talked to, and some of the metaphors or similes or whatever you want to call them that he used, because um, I forget if he used the word like or not, um, are somewhat on point here. So to pick up there, he says, the continuity itself, of course, is another issue. I discoursed about this on Facebook recently and got some interesting perspectives. Josh Radke of Grail Quest Books said, quote, Star Wars literature used to be unique in fiction because it did make a concerted effort to keep the integrity of its long-running and complex continuity. That's what made it more and more real with each story. And in principle, I just do not like this message we are reaffirming time after time on the cultural landscape that when things get too hard or too incompatible, we chuck it and start afresh, unquote. I think that captures my own thoughts exactly. The reality of those stories is broken to me with a continuity break, and it's difficult, personally, not speaking for Mr. Radke, to accept a new alternate version with that prior version so ingrained. It feels rather like a history teacher telling me, we've decided that Washington no longer wintered at Valley Forge. Instead, he went down to Jamaica to fight slavers. It's hard to accept the new alternate version of what I was told was the actual history, even in this case, a fictional one. For me, consistency and believability not in terms of, I believe in the Force, but in terms of, yes, I believe all these things fit together to tell the cohesive story of this person or universe are key to suspension and enjoyment. My childhood wasn't Star Trek. It was Star Wars, because that was a universe I could live in. It was vast. It all fit. And anything with that name on it would give me further, real details about the setting it was in. That was why I could invest in it, because it gave me a reality broad and stable enough for my disbelief to be suspended in without bumping into something to jar it loose. In responding to the suggestion of personal canon and the idea that nothing has been, quote, taken off our bookshelves or out of our hands, Chris Walker added, quote, you can discard what you don't like, but it doesn't count in the long run. So for people like Andrew and me, having it really count in an objective sense is part of what gives those stories value. That they are good stories is only half the value. To say we can have our own personal canon misses the reason we want an objective canon, because the other half of what gives those stories value is that they are recognized in some sense by the creator. To go without that, well, you may as well be asking us to become literary existentialists. 
Sisyphus can push his personal continuity boulder up the hill all he wants, but it's only under his own willpower, and only because he wants to. When he tires, it rolls back down again. I'd rather have the creator, e.g. Uh, Lucas or the story group, sustain an objective continuity boulder indefinitely. It's a metaphor, but you get the idea, right? Where Andrew and I part ways is that I'm fine with there being two boulders, but for Andrew, the fact that there are two boulders communicates that the first wasn't good enough in the creator's eyes. Unquote. That's only part of it, as spelled out in the earlier parts of this email, but it's also a valid addition to the importance of continuity concept. And on that, a third friend, Josh Rust, added, quote, Let me just oversimplify the issue real quick-like, because I've been trying to decide if I'm bothered or not by this. Star Wars is a thing that people derive enjoyment from in a variety of different ways. Now something has happened which directly interferes with one particular way that some people enjoy Star Wars. I don't think there's anything wrong with deriving enjoyment specifically from the idea that Star Wars is a single, consistent universe which has objective value, etc., as outlined already in the above comments. However, that particular way of enjoying something depends heavily on the decisions and whims of other people, and is therefore inherently risky. You're basically renting enjoyment instead of owning it. It's like if you had a friend who let you borrow his sports car for an indefinite period of time, and you got upset when he asked for it back because you can't enjoy it anymore. It's not a perfect metaphor, but I just wanted to throw my thoughts into the mix. Unquote. And I think he's right. But of course, that doesn't necessarily make it easier to be less of that kind of fan, as risky as that kind of fandom is. It's also hard because once upon a time, we were implicitly promised that there would be no more post-Return of the Jedi stories, that it was safe, much as telling stories in the Clone Wars was safe for a few years. We went in with less perception of risk because we had been told it was safe to get attached here. Not the best way to enjoy a franchise? Maybe. But it's inextricably the root system from which my fandom grew. At the whims of others? Well, yes. But we had reason to believe at one time that those whims were constrained. Before the dark times. Before Disney. In terms of the continuity, at the very least, the EU always seemed to be, these are official unless anything comes along to contradict them. So one has to go out of one's way to invalidate them, which the Clone Wars did, hence my beef with them. Whereas now they're saying, we are in fact contradicting them all at once. It's like how you're told that employment is at will and the company reserves the right to fire you at any time, but the time while you're working with that potential hanging over you is very different from the company invoking that clause and laying off the whole workforce at once. It feels like a company doing that and then telling all the employees, nothing's changed, you always knew this was a possibility. An imperfect metaphor, as the EU hasn't been technically fired, even if I feel that realistically, in terms of popularity and awareness, it has now been consigned to a slow, lingering death into obscurity. Sadly, I've already seen comments from others, even some of your own, Nathan, that seem to suggest this process has begun even amongst the current generation. Nothing has changed in the right that they reserve which allows them to do so, or the status of the EU as any piece is potentially replaceable, and in that way the whole thing eventually could. But something has definitely changed in the policy of, we won't do that unless we have to, and even then, only the affected pieces, if that makes sense. The policy hasn't changed, but it's a definite shift in how it's exercised, from precision strikes to the preemptive nuclear option. Uh, it's, it's, it's a hard one to go with because, you know, there's so many options they could have done that, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to speak because in a lot of ways I felt like they, they went with an option that I'm happy with only because I'm still staying optimistic that 
legends will continue. I mean, the way they worded it left me feeling like, you know, that they were going to continue to do it. They were going to use the name legends more than just to relabel the books and resell them, which was also a win for them in that regard. But as to establish down the road when it's safe enough in the public eye to uh, go back to this universe without people going, Oh wait, what? Um, so I, I, yeah, it's hard for me to speak to that. I mean, I get where you're coming from hundred percent and I, it, it's not stuff that I myself haven't thought one, one or another, or maybe a thousand times. Um, you know, you're definitely nailing what a lot of people were in, which is why I think it was important to get your opinion on this, you know, heard because I, I don't think you're alone. I think, I think when, we as EU fans, when we you know interact with the rest of fandom, you know, so many people are quick to say that we're that that tiniest of all minorities. That you know, anytime anything comes that rocks the fandom boat, it feels like you know you're already on an island, and you just found out that like everybody on that island just kicked you off to the mountain. You know, I have to say, as 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 bad as it sounds, um, you said one of the things that's keeping you hopeful is the idea that legends will continue. I, I can only think back to what I think is a Babylon Five quote. Uh, you will know pain, you will know fear, and then you will die. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's I, I still do not, absolutely do not see that happening. Um, but no, I think he, he makes a valid point there that, yes, they have basically taken the nuclear option. Now, I laid out in a previous episode what their options essentially were, and he actually addresses that in an addendum that he sent to add on, like, as a PS to this after he had actually heard our episode. So I'll hold off on that for now, but we will come back to this idea of what were their options. Could they have done something that was more fine-tuned versus, uh, he calls it a precision strike versus a uh, the nuclear option. Um, but I would say that, I, and, and they put it very well. Um, they all kind of put it very well. Uh, Josh Russ' comment there about just, and and Chris's mixed in with, with the other Josh, uh, mixed in with Andrew's, just the idea that, I, I agree, a big part of what, caused me to dive into Star Wars fandom as much as I did when it came to the books and comics, when I had not picked up any before, with the exception of a few random Star Wars Marvel comics at the grocery store when I was very little, uh, was the fact that we were being told this was an official continuation, it will all connect together. That drew me to it more than anything else. And I don't know if that's because I have that mindset and that's why I'm also drawn to stuff like the Farscape comics that pick up after Peacekeeper Wars and that sort of thing. Um, or if it's that because that's how I experienced and enjoyed Star Wars, that's how I now experience and enjoy other things. Like my my perception of fandom, my schema, my mental schema, so to speak, for fandom enjoyment has now carried over in terms of structure from Star Wars to other things. Um, maybe, maybe not. But that certainly is a big part of it. It's not just... Uh, I believe it was Chris that said it's it's not just about the fact that this is a good story if we're reading a Star Wars novel from what's now Legends. It's the fact that at the time it was meant to all be interconnected, and it's still interconnected. It's just that now it's it, the storytelling is essentially stopped, and it's not being thought of as the highest form of storytelling. But again, that's not really anything that was ever a surprise. The fact that they could come in at any time and take the car back, so to speak, um, or they could come along and knock down your sandcastle if you're playing in George Lucas's sandbox. That was always an issue. You know that going into it. When I wrote for Tales, when I helped out uh, with the Essential Atlas, you know that stuff is going to change. You know, when I got a chance to fix the in-universe calendar date for Return of the Jedi for the first time, I was ecstatic. That blew me. I was like, yes, this is so awesome. But even that may be out the window now, too. That calendar system may not even exist. Um, 
but you know when you do something like that, even if it's tied into a film, it could be gone. You know, that the, the DC-0052 intergalactic speeder in episode three, something that me and another fan through the What's the Story uh, contest created the backstory for. We got to recognize now that while the ship may still exist in the film, that backstory that we created probably doesn't. Heck, maybe even the name of the type of speeder doesn't. It just depends on what happens with new authors and such. Um, you know that going into it, um, that this could be knocked over at any time. But there certainly was the sense for a long time that this wasn't going to happen. Lucas, we're talking about Lucas changing his mind, changing his story. Remember that Lucas started out saying that Star Wars would be one film. He didn't expect it to necessarily be super successful. Um, then the idea was that, oh my goodness, it's a success. And he talked about it being the first episode in a series of 12 based on the adventures of Luke Skywalker. So the classic trilogy, a sequel trilogy, a post-sequel trilogy, and a post-post-sequel trilogy. And then he goes into the mid-80s, around the time of The Empire Strikes Back, um, when he decides, no, 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 it's going to be episode 4, then episode 5, Empire Strikes Back, then 6 is Return of the Jedi, and it's actually a saga of 9 with prequel films in front of those, and then he starts talking about it's always 9. And then later you get him deciding that he's not going to make a sequel trilogy, and then saying that he always envisioned it as a series of 6 films. Only for him, when the Disney announcement came to say, well, I said I wasn't going to make any more films. I never said somebody else wouldn't. Um, at one point, he had set ground rules. Do not deal with this era in the EU, like the Clone Wars, because that is my purview. I'm going to do the prequels. But then he started doing them, allowed them to write in it, and then came around later, a few years later, created the Clone Wars and trampled on top of it. Same thing's kind of happening here. There will not ever be a sequel trilogy um, so the bounds that said you can write a certain amount after Return of the Jedi was gone, and they just kept writing and writing and writing and writing. Now Disney, per Lucas's outlines and such, are coming back in and saying, yeah, well, now we're going to stomp on top of it. Um, it is jarring. It is something that always could have happened. Um, but it's going to feel like a slap in the face to many, because even if you knew it could happen, there was that, ex that, that implicit promise, as he mentions, that essentially it wasn't going to because there weren't going to be those other films. We didn't have to worry about those eras, which to us made it feel as though that was going to always be the way it happened because, well, it was the only thing out there that all interconnected and had that sort of tip of the hat of continuity, uh, even if not being necessarily what Lucas looked at as happening. Um, I understand the frustration, and I feel some of that frustration to myself. Um, I think I just sort of, once the Clone Wars happened, I started to realize that it didn't seem like continuity mattered as much to them anymore. That and Star Wars Volume 2, yeah. continuity just didn't seem to matter as much anymore. It seemed like it was something where it mattered in certain eras and in others, screw it. Um, mostly thanks to Lucas, um, with ridiculous things like freaking Moraband slash Korriban, for instance. Um, you finally just have to stop and say, either I'm going to be willing to accept the idea of multiple continuities or the fact that it's a train wreck. Uh, or I just got to kind of give up. Continuity. Know? The new definition is continually continuing to change my vision. Yeah, the only, what's the old, old line? Uh, the only constant is change. <laughs> All right, he picks up, coming back from that aside, so to speak, um, having just talked about how he wouldn't be able to hand this down to a new generation because um, uh, that this, this old EU, the legend stuff, would not be their province, so to speak. Uh, he picks up saying... That makes me sad, because I believe that they have objective worth, that is, the legend stories, and quality beyond simply my nostalgic and foundational years love of them. 
And that's the second thing that makes me pessimistic about ongoing Star Wars. Because I feel that the EU, especially late 80s and early 90s, captured a style of universe that is not often recaptured these days. Most Star Wars in the last 15 years or so has been, for me, stylistically inferior. Some of it trended toward the dark, gritty, post-9-11 tropes that have saturated media of late, that seem sometimes to stand in Gander-like opposition to escapism and adventure and fun, declaring that none shall pass. Others simply seem to have a shallower story quality, working off of more generic and less imaginative concepts, lacking the hard-to-define spark that made Star Wars special. Worse, for me lately, a lot of Star Wars has become really silly and fanboyish. Darth Maul, King of the Mandalorians! Darth Vader's secret apprentice that created the Rebellion and fought the Emperor on the Skeletal Death Star. 3,000 Jedi, all of whom only have blue and green lightsabers, battling endless hordes and variations and new batches of Sith, with everything always being about tons of Jedi and acrobatics and hypocritical philosophy. All of that feels really kitty and silly and fanficish to me. And while I know most people don't see the Bantam era as sophisticated or adult, to me, it feels that way in comparison. To me, modern Star Wars feels really Michael Bay, replacing explosions with character matchups and the over-the-top fighting abilities, but the same, whoa, blow your mind, wouldn't this be awesome whether it makes sense or not mentality? I recognize that may not be the viewpoint of many, but for me, Star Wars has lost depth and imagination and creativity to be replaced by comic book style gimmicks and mashups and top this spectacles, and a singular obsession with Jedi that is strangling off all the interesting things about the old EU, like Rogue Slash Wraith Squadron, Kyle Katarn, the Han Solo Adventures, which used to recognize that Jedi are only part of the story, and focusing exclusively and only on them makes for repetitive and boring storytelling lacking spice and variety. Much like this email. He says that, not me. Uh, Mark, let's cut there because he's going to move into another point. Um, thoughts on that? Well, you know, I think you nailed all the points as to why the Legends universe needs to continue. Uh, I think one thing many fans can agree on is that the EU Legends, you know, and Star Wars were at times at odds with their approach to the galaxy far, far away. There were, you know, fans that disliked that, and there were fans that embraced that. Uh, I I embraced it. I loved, you know, when, when the New Jedi Order came out and Vajer was like, there is no dark side in everything that that opened up into the realm of what that meant. And then, you know, I just remember there was such a backlash from the, the quote film only group that were like, <laughs> you know, they just came down on that idea. But I, I think, you know, this is one way where you can have both of those and appease both sides of fans. But I don't know. I, I don't know if it'll happen. I stay optimistic. Nathan, you think it, it probably won't, but something else he'd mentioned though, about, about things that we were getting starting to feel fanficish. You know, I have to admit, the Clone Wars felt like a fanfic presented by George Lucas. I mean, we had Godzilla, we had King Kong, we had Hitchcock. Oh my! What else are we going to take and rip off and knock off? And 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 because it's George, we're okay with that. You know, I mean, there there was a lot of that. Where again, getting back to that blind worship of of you know, hey, it came from George. It, it needs to trump all. And it was like we were getting a lot of stuff that really did feel like you know we had an amateur in in the arena. You know, a lot of people talk about the sandbox, but at that point I really felt like, you know, the star Wars sandbox was so big and George was just playing in one tiny little corner. And it's like, dude, you have a kingdom sized sandbox. Get out of that two foot square, man, that come and enjoy the rest of this thing. You know? So 
there were times where, where you know, that and, and the way I was looking at the way George was presenting things and, and messing with things that left me hanging my head low. You know, I mean, I've always said, and I said this for a long time, you know, that I always wished that Lucas was a Star Wars fan. Ouch. Ouch. But then again, he did say, uh, and before I get into any of my thoughts on what, what he had said, um, I seem to remember that actually really good Oprah interview uh, with George Lucas. And mm-hmm. he said in it how one thing he's looking forward to in retirement is being able to maybe at some point, I think it was his way of putting it, was to at some point be able to watch Star Wars and see it the way others saw it. Or that maybe his big regret or the thing that he missed out on was he didn't get to see Star Wars the way everyone else saw it. He saw it as the film he was creating and such as opposed to seeing the the spectacle and the grandeur and stuff of it. So I would have, he's not really... A Star Wars fan per se, at least not in the, the same sense of fans out here, because we don't have that hand in the creative process. So it's definitely a different perspective on. I can, uh, yeah. I mean, I can, I can definitely see that. Um, fan of storytelling. I mean, that's something mm-hmm. I always got from him. Uh, as far as of other concepts that he mentions, uh, I will agree, and we talked about this before on the show about how you know history may be cyclical, but boy, they really do tend to like to go back to constant Sith empires versus Republic, Sith versus Jedi over and over, taking those tropes and making them uh, pretty heavy. Um, it was kind of cool to see it a few times, but it certainly has gone very much overboard. Um, I mean, it makes sense from a historical perspective that these ideas may come back and they can build, but at the same time, it does mean that some of the storytelling will seem very similar. Um, I would, however, say, I mean, going back to the Bantam era, Bantam sometimes caught the feel of the films very well. Like the Timothy Zahn Thrawn trilogy, before Zahn's novels went down the toilet, for the most part, um, certainly after Bantam, um, that really captured the feel of the films. Thrawn trilogy was outstanding in that regard. But you did have a lot of stories that really didn't do a whole lot in that regard and kind of felt like it was sort of lumbering along. And, you know, then you also had tropes like the super weapon of the week. There's that whole issue of, you know, well, when is it a refrain in music or a chorus in music, the way that Lucas refers to storytelling, and when is it just, we're going to repeat the same stuff because, hey, it worked in the last novel and people bought it. Um, With the idea of feeling like Star Wars, the Bantam era certainly did pretty frequently, um, though not always. And I would argue that the Clone Wars cartoon series, despite its low points, and its low points were awful, um... I would say that, you know, you wind up sometimes with stories that really feel like Star Wars. Uh, they feel more like Star Wars than a lot of the other stories that we've gotten in recent years. Um, now, sometimes that feeling like Star Wars feels like the prequels, like the Clovis arc. And sometimes it feels more adventurous and fun uh, and and character connected, like, say, the last episodes for Ahsoka. Um, but it certainly, when it was at its best, felt like Star Wars. And I'm not sure that... I would say that that is necessarily because of Lucas's involvement. Lucas provided a lot of info, for instance, for the Yoda arc, apparently. And you will find when you hear our RFRN epilogue slash Rebels Roundtable prelude episode where we discuss the Yoda arc, on first viewing it may seem cool to have that be the last arc of Clone Wars, but when you actually start looking at it critically, those episodes absolutely fall apart. Their logic makes no internal sense whatsoever over and over again, to the point where I would say they probably fall apart worse than the Mortis arc did. And I know we got people on like the uh, the Facebook page for Rebels Roundtable when I mentioned that that a lot of us saw it as falling apart. Said, yeah, but it's all metaphysical, it's all metaphorical. You're supposed to not take it literally. There were some parts that were based on visions and stuff that fall apart, but 
Where's the defense of the lost one, the episode that had nothing to do with visions, where its own internal logic of continuity completely falls apart um, because it seems to forget the things that changed both before and after Phantom Menace. Um, so yeah, in that sense, it was great at times, felt like Star Wars, sometimes didn't. But that's where you've got a lot of the Star Wars feeling lately, I would say, because I think the change that he's talking about when it comes to Star Wars is that over time, as Star Wars storytelling post-1991 stopped trying to grab the feel of the films, the classic trilogy at the time, um, as the things to emulate to get that sense of adventure and the, you know, the Saturday morning serial type thing, as they moved into more focusing on fleshing out the continuity and the whatever happened to certain characters, oh, here's this next big conflict coming, Star Wars, and I said this years ago on Chrono Radio, I believe, um, shifted right around the time that they switched from Bantam to Del Rey, or back to Del Rey when the New Jedi Order launched. It shifted from being space opera, space fantasy, to being more science fiction, often hard sci-fi. So I think that's why you get stories like, say, New Jedi Order, Legacy of the Force, things that sometimes people really dislike because they don't feel quite as much like classic Star Wars. It's because it feels more like the Star Wars universe with science fiction storytelling rather than the Star Wars universe in a space fantasy mode of storytelling. And that is certainly a valid criticism that's been around for years. Um, I wonder whether this new canon, so to speak, story group canon, whatever, if these new novels are going to be able to escape from that and really get back to the feel of the films or if what we're going to see there, or in Rebels, or even in the new movies, is going to certainly feel much more sci-fi than space fantasy. True. Picking up where he leaves off, he just criticized the uh, storytelling style there. He says, which leads me to quality concerns. Because what had come before, early Zahn, thank you for pointing out early, Andrew, Alston, Stackpole, Kevin J. Anderson, sometimes... West End Games concepts like Other Space, the Ugor slash Squib conflicts, Shantipole and Tatooine Manhunt, they had story quality. Not just objectively, because I liked him as a kid, but objectively, at least as objectively as something like the quality of a story can be measured. The majority of recent entries to Star Wars, including the prequels, and while I recognize once again that I am in the minority, the Clone Wars have not had that quality to me, nor have they captured the brash, adventure, Flash Gordon-esque, brassy John Williams score feel of Star Wars to me. So that's the second reason I'm so leery. I lack confidence that the new works that will populate the EU, talking about the story group canon, will be of the quality that the items being replaced are. People who enjoyed more recent Star Wars products are probably less bothered. On a scale of 1 to 10, we're losing some 9s and 10s, but we're just making room for more masterpieces. And that may be the case. But based on recent precedent, the potential to me is more of, we're losing some 9s and 10s, and we're making room for a whole bunch of generic 3s and 4s that will never reach the heights that the old did, because they're just not in that mode anymore. To me, Star Wars has been dumbed down, and while the EU represented a mix of the quality and the dumb, the fresh start will probably see an influx of the dumb only. I'd love to be proven wrong, just don't have much confidence based on the last decade and a half of track record, where the gems, to me, have been far rarer than the duds. And thirdly, that's not the only tide it's been holding back. I've staked my claim pretty clearly as an original trilogy guy, 
And my fandom lies in things like West End Games, the Bantam Era, and the Marvel Comics that seem to actually capture that particular flavor of Star Wars to me. I've also made little secret that I have contempt for a lot of the concepts introduced by the prequels. I'm right there with Karen Travis in thinking that the prequel trilogy Jedi are among the most obnoxious characters ever created, taking mysterious hermit paladin monks, more akin to wizards, who could accomplish nearly anything with enlightened meditations and become force spirits when they die and were all the more cool for their rarity and mystery, as embodied by Alec Guinness in A New Hope and Frank Oz in The Empire Strikes Back, and turning them into morally bankrupt, hypocritical, droning, boring ninjas obsessed with acrobatics and capable of only small-scale feats and continually bogged down with petty personality conflicts who can only achieve much of what we see in the original trilogy if Ghost Qui-Gon teaches them. Mace Windu may be able to destroy super battle droids with rapid-fire hammer punches, but is still a thousand times less cool than the mysterious, almost medieval-seeming order that Obi-Wan described in that hut and Joris Sebaoth offered a tantalizing glimpse of. That was an order of Gandalfs. What we've got in the prequels felt more like an order of Neo-Andersons. Sure, the Matrix is fun, but Lord of the Rings? It ain't. And the philosophy irks me to no end. No attachment is a terrible principle for any sentient in my eyes, and a stupid idea, but even worse when inconsistently applied. Padawans and Masters are as close as fathers and sons. The Order is filled with friendships. Jedi like Obi-Wan are good friends with Dexter Jetster and the like, as well as with each other. Not a single one of them actually shuns attachments. Their lives are full of them. Yoda was even said to miss his beloved Kaibuk. So essentially, hypocritically and arbitrarily, it's just romance and companionship they seem to want to deny each other for some reason. I find that moronic. The Jedi also engage in majorly questionable ethics and absurdly simplistic and stupid philosophies. Only the Sith deal in absolutes. That I generally attribute to Papa George going a little senile in his old age. And don't get me started on the Force Ghost thing. Now, why this little mini rant? Because, much as I hate these aspects of the prequels that I consider to have ruined the Jedi as characters and concepts, the EU showed us that this was just an aberration. It fit with the themes of corruption and decay in the Republic by showing us that this, whether Lucas intended it or not, was a degenerate Jedi Order, fallen from the ideal. KOTOR showed us that Jedi used to have marriage and attachments, no problem. And lo and behold, Nomi Sunrider's husband was killed right in front of her, and she did not fall to the dark side. Almost like attachment wasn't the spawn of Satan that Yoda seemed to think it was. And Luke's Order married without any hesitation, and it was good. Likewise, all Jedi became Force Ghosts, which was awesome. And lo and behold, lightsabers came in all variety of colors, and Jedi had philosophical ideas that were sustainable in the real world, and they were wise. It was good. And yes, most of it came because the prequels hadn't been written yet, and writers wrote things like Ki-Adi Mundi with a family simply because it was a no-brainer. Yeah, of course Jedi get married, and don't have some kind of weird prohibition against love. It's the most natural assumption in the world. Why wouldn't they? What kind of idiot would suggest that? They simply had no idea what kind of absurdity they were in for, and wrote like any other writer naturally would. But despite the reasons, the EU served as a buffer to the original trilogy. Whatever dumb ideas the prequels had, their midichlorian madness stayed quarantined in the prequel era. By the time of the original trilogy, Luke's Jedi had got it right, and attempts to introduce prequel trilogy era concepts in the original trilogy, adding in a council and padawans all of a sudden, 
or KOTOR eras felt artificial and couldn't do much damage. Sure, there was always inanity like Tatooine Ghost and Mortis in Fate of the Jedi, but the original trilogy was safe from being contaminated with prequel stupidity because it was always spoken for. Now, however, that buffer has been stripped away. Nothing is protecting the original trilogy and our beloved original trilogy characters, and all of those ideas, all of those terrible, awful ideas, can now saturate Luke and Han and Leia's future at will. Perhaps Luke, or even Leia, will never marry, because they adhere to the Jedi non-attachment, except to each other as siblings, and their good friends Han and Lando and Chewie, and their droids, and all the other hypocritical exceptions. Perhaps Luke will not have a Force ghost, or need to train under Qui-Gon's spirit to learn it. Perhaps his order will be all about backflips and stunts, and have none of the wisdom and power and mystery that Alec Guinness so brilliantly imbued. Now, hopefully, all of these are worst-case scenarios. But either way, the original trilogy's future can now be defined by all the worst aspects of the prequels, and what Jedi are defined by that flawed, broken standard. Is there hope that they won't? Sure. Rebels, leery as I've become of certain elements, certainly doesn't seem like it's styling its Jedi character in the prequel style. And if Abrams is wise enough to draw from the original trilogy as his source for what Star Wars ought to be, with the prequels existing alongside the sequels as something trying to meet that standard, and the prequels case often failing, then Episode 7 may be good too. Though I still fear that he'll look at the six films as a whole for his cue of what Star Wars is and be drawing from a tainted source, like trying to clone a clone, working partly off the original and partly off the degraded copy. Is Star Wars guaranteed to be doomed to prequel inanity? By no means. But the protection that was in place around it is gone, and the potential is there. Hand it over to you, Mark, there, because uh, he brings in... That is not a perspective on this that I had heard before, and it, it definitely puts things in another light. Uh... You first. Your yeah. thoughts on this? I, you know, I can never respond back as eloquently as you or even Andrew here. But you know, quality. Uh, some of the things we got from the Clone Wars, uh, books, comics, games, uh, they they managed to capture my attention in ways that the prequels didn't. Um, you know, I, I'm mainly thinking of like the Republic line for the Clone Wars and stuff like that. Uh, you know, we got uh, Jedi trial, even though later that got tweaked around and moved and stuff. Uh, but again, I, I'm also a huge fan of the uh, Republic Commando series. You know, you mentioned Karen Travis, which it was funny because I wrote that down before you'd even mentioned her. You know, and I never understood why they made Karen the pseudo authority for all thing Mandalorian. And then even let her pin the Clone Wars novelization just to turn around and snub her over and over again in that regard. It was kind of like, you know, oh, and, and by the way, thanks for, for pinning that novel, but this will be the first novel that we are not going to put a paperback with. And, I mean, boom, ow, I mean, you know, right out the gate. And, oh, we're going to take the Mandalorians and, well, you made them a really cool Klingon race for all intents and purposes. We're going to make them Vulcans. I, I don't know. I just... I just you know, and, and the things you you know you mentioned about the Jedi Order in the prequels, I have to agree 100% with your point of view there. Uh, you know, I I too always felt that Travis's outlook on things was refreshing. Uh, you know, you mentioned also only a Sith deals in absolutes. Well said, Sith Kenobi. Uh, you know, there was that. Um, you know, the EU they they fixed many of those unthought of portions of Lucas's vision. And, and yes, I, you know, they they are going to need to go back and refix that stuff with new backstories and stuff, or those big plot holes are going to be even more known to the film canon. I mean, I, I think a lot of fandom 
they watch Star Wars with their fan blinders on. You know, we 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 love the show so much that we fail to or won't or flat out refuse to see the flaws. Uh, or if we we do see the flaws, it's immediately dismissed as oh, don't be so dramatic. Uh, you know, and that kind of stuff. And you know, I mean, if you can't see the flaws for what they are then I think that you're not truly loving the product. You're just loving an idea of the product because the product was flawed and that, that was part of the beauty. You know, a lot of people, when they talk about what they loved about the original trilogy was the dirtiness, the, the grittiness of it. And to me, that was part of the flaw. I mean, that was, that was part of what made it work was that it was a flawed thing. It wasn't shiny and new like everything else was. And that was part of what worked or didn't work for you with the prequels. Uh, you know, another thing you had mentioned, too, was uh, was Luke's order getting it right. Um, you know, and, and I think in this regard, if they did continue Legends down the road, the one thing about the continuation moving forward from here that I will enjoy is the fact that it won't be shackled to what's going on in the film continuity because Luke did get it right. Only for the film continuity to slowly redirect that continuity back more in line with what we were getting with the prequel. And suddenly Luke is Yoda and his order is exactly like Yoda's order. And they're going through everything all over again. And you're like, wait, are we watching episode three happen? But only now Jason's Palpatine? What's going on? I don't know. For me, it was kind of like one of those just here we go again because we've got to make things line up with the films and we've got to get things more accessible with the films, which gets me to that other aspect of things. You know, we talked about a few episodes back that even this new canon is going to get to that point where things become too inaccessible. But even if you take that new canon away, they're planning on putting out new films every year, at, you know, coming 2015. At some point, you're going to have that same buildup of films as you did with books. And then you're going to have what everybody says will never happen, a reboot of the films. And I mean, you know, you look at all these other franchises that are rebooting their films because we get past that origin story and nobody wants to invest long enough to get to these other really cool stories because everybody wants to do the origin story because that's the best way to get people in. And, you know, I, I, it kind of irks me in that regard of, you know, the last things that we got in Legends were these, or, or, you know, original character stories because we wanted to have that accessibility, even though somebody knew that this was going to be a swan song and they gave us Crucible as our last of the ongoing adventures. It's kind of like, wow, that that really sits hard with me still to this day. I don't know. I mean, Nathan, what do you think? Well, you know, the, what gets me is this whole idea of the... The insulation. I guess I never really looked at it that way. That, in a sense, the EU was kind of the one always fixing different things that happened when George's vision didn't seem to always necessarily be logical. I mean, George is the one who said, Anakin is 9 in The Phantom Menace, and Padme is 14. Now the Episode 2 Attack of the Clones story is going to be set 10 years later. How old is Anakin? Well, he's 20. I'm sorry, hang on, hang on, I need to go back to elementary school here. 9 plus 10 equals, nope, nope, not 20, actually, George. And they had to go back and figure out, okay, well, where does Anakin's birthday happen to fall within the year in order to make sense for Padme to essentially have gone from 14 to 24, but for Anakin to have gone from 9 to 20 within the span of this 10-year gap, that kind of thing. It's almost like me trying to figure out the the... The difference between my wife and I's ages, because depending on what time of the year it is, we're either 10 years apart or nine years apart. Um, but yeah, they, they had to come in and kind of deal with those. No, no more so 
than coming in and trying to, with Matthew Stover's brilliant novelization of Revenge of the Sith, turn Anakin's extremely lickety-split, super-fast fall from grace to become a Sith Lord in Revenge of the Sith make more logical sense and have more emotional impact. Um, so yes, the EU at times was the one sort of dulling the impact, acting like body armor, I guess you could say, for the rest of Star Wars and the original trilogy's characters um, to make it a point of explaining why something that might be inconsistent, well, there is an in-universe reason for it. Um, I guess that's kind of why the Clone Wars became such a big deal. Because when the Clone Wars cartoon series came in, there wasn't that buffer between the era of Clone Wars storytelling that had existed from 2002 to 2008 with the comics and the novels and the games and all, versus what Lucas and Filoni and them were planning to do with the Clone Wars cartoon series that wind up running from 2008 uh, to 2013, or I guess now 2014 with Lost Missions and everything. Um, I almost feel like uh, when it comes to uh, the way that this worked, you might see the, the prequels and, and those, that sort of thing being added to the continuity, being like someone charging in with a lightsaber or a, or a, a hammer, ready to smash their way into other continuity, except you see it coming at you, so the EU kind of has its shields up, or is able to have, you know, first aid ready, so if you do get cut, don't worry, we'll patch it up and you'll be okay. Whereas the Clone Wars was more like, it's the Star Wars version of playing a game with Jigsaw. If you've ever seen the Saw movies, you know, I want to play a game. Well, that's lovely and all, but when <laughs> Jigsaw invites you to play a game, say no. Because if you're going to play a game with him, chances are, even if you win, you lose. Um, because something dramatic will have happened that has disfigured you very much like what has happened in that era of the Clone Wars that is never, ever going to get an answer, it seems, as to how it's all meant to fit together. Um, by the same token, though, um, again, that's kind of just the nature of the beast. When you've got the creator still creating... There's going to be those changes. There's all these different comparisons of Star Wars to other mythology as basically how, you know, a culture takes ownership of it and it becomes the custodian of the legacy. But with Star Wars, that's not the case because for that to really take place, the original creators and license holders in this case or whatever you want to call it of that tale have to step away from it and let it go. Not to make a bad Frozen reference, but let it go so that it can continue within that public spirit. That's not really where Star Wars is, although we as fans have sort of taken it upon ourselves to feel as though this is our saga as much as Lucas's or Disney's, when realistically, it's not. It's one of these unusual instances in which we think of something as a cultural phenomenon, but that phenomenon still has specific directives coming from the original source, or one of the uh, representatives of the original source, which I, I guess makes me think that being a Star Wars fan, you really kind of need Dennis Miller's admonishment back in one of his rants when he had his old show on HBO, which was, life's tough, wear a cup. So is Star <laughs> Wars fandom. Star Wars fandom can be tough. Wear a cup. Um, you're gonna need it, uh, to quote Han Solo here. Um, oh, all right, so getting true. back. Getting back into uh, what he has to say here, his last points, uh, before his little addendum, of course. He says, and yeah, Lastly, on a personal level, I just straight up don't like it because I loved those stories. The legend stories he's referring to. To me, X-Wings fighting TIE Fighters over the surface of a Super Star Destroyer is quintessentially Star Wars in a way that Republic gunships versus Hailfire droids, cool as it is, can never be. That's my bias and my nostalgia. That's my Star Wars. I won't pretend that isn't an element. 
Kyle Katarn's story arc, uh, Gera Petrothel and Min Donos, Anakin and Tahiri, Curse You to the Nine Hells, New Jedi Order, Luke and Mara, Zane Carrick's Fight for Justice, that final showdown with Sabaoth. Those things mean more to me than Ahsoka Tano and Asajj Ventress and Cade Skywalker ever could. I've invested in them beyond belief, and believe strongly in their value both subjectively and objectively. While the other eras of Star Wars simply don't compete to me in terms of quality storytelling and Star Wars spirit from a more objective perspective, personally, in another way, they, and whatever Episode 7 onward produces, never can, simply due to that nostalgia and personal connection. And yes, I am deeply sad that these stories will most likely not fire my son's imagination, nor that of any of a new generation. I see that as a profound loss, and one made inevitable by what I foresee the results of this Legends business as. I will have a kid who probably values Clone Wars over the NPR radio dramas, which will be hard to take, and may even value the prequels over the original trilogy, at which point it'll be my sad duty to disown him and throw him out of the house. And I am also trepidatious that whatever becomes his Star Wars will be of lesser quality, that he won't have the same quality to his Star Wars that I have for mine, nor that the stories will be as easy for me to enjoy because of the quality or style. Perhaps that's all this is. Sadness for what the EU will become to the next generation. No one is coming to take away my books to keep me from rereading Wraith Squadron, but no one, it seems, is going to value it like I did anymore or be interested in sharing it with me, not beyond a very select few. And that's hard, especially because, just like the Clone Wars continuity conflicts, it didn't have to be that way. But some jerk in LFL slash Disney, often the first L in LFL, just decided to make it that way. As a friend said, I feel LFL made me choose, the books or the show with the Clone Wars, and now they're doing it again on a much larger scale. I don't want either or. That's why I can struggle with resenting Disney in Episode 7. Because before they decided to make this movie, I had both. The movies and the EU. Now they've been separated, and that's frustrating. Marvel Comics Star Wars was already my niche, with the rest of the EU as my casual, discuss-it-with-all-my-fellow-Star-Wars-fans area. I don't want it all to become the niche. For me, my fandom needs to be shared to thrive, and the people I'll be able to share it with will dwindle especially my kids, which is the ultimate disappointment. So that's how the Legends announcement makes me feel. Uh, the EU has been killed, based on what I believe will likely happen, and a new pretender of definite potential but dubious quality based on past track record being wheeled out to take its place. And I can certainly identify why. Some reasons fearing for the future quality or the property that I loved, and others simply relating to my enjoyment and sharing of it. Some reasons selfless, some selfish, some cautionary. But for me, I am in mourning for the Star Wars I knew. Actually, tangibly, continuously upset about this on a daily basis, largely because of my next generation investment. I know, I know, get a life. And while I intend to give new Star Wars a try, I don't expect much, and can't help resenting what feels to me like a needless shunting or invalidating of my Star Wars to others in order to bring it about. I would honestly have been happier if we only had three Star Wars movies, or in a pinch, six. I suspect that if your handling of a franchise makes one of your fans wish you'd made less movies, as a number of Superman fans have felt, for instance, you're probably doing something wrong. But in this, in all of this, every aspect that this letter is about, I do recognize that I represent 
a minority, Andrew Gilbertson. Andrew, I just want to give you a big hand. Uh, you know, you are a minority. We are a minority. Uh, you know, I may not agree with you 100% of the time, but there is a core deep down in me that feels a lot like you do. And, you know, again, I, I commend you for being able to eloquently put into words that which I could not. Um, you know, I, I think that part of the reason why we needed to have this episode is because whether you like what Andrew has to say or not, it's a valid opinion. And I think that that is, is, is something that we in fandom kind of forget about when we come across opinions that are different than our, our, our own. Uh, you know, when you come to forums, you either have two types. You have those types that can debate about things without getting ticked off with each other. Or you have that one guy that's trying to do that with a troll. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, we are always going to come across somebody that has a different point of view and how they – come at you about it kind of changes the way you feel with things like that you bring up so very many points coming forward I, i'm just going to address a few of them you mentioned you know uh star destroyers and the death star uh and x-wings versus gunships against hellfire droids uh you know and and on one level i'm 100 percent in your camp on the other side though it makes me look at things and i stop and i realize that for me my son kind of saved me from where you're at because my son, when, when the Clone Wars started coming out, keep in mind, I didn't start watching it until the third season. Uh, and he didn't see any of it aside from like a commercial here or there kind of thing and then a few of the toys. But he immediately was a Stormtrooper fan. Uh, you know, and that started with episode three. Uh, Commander Cody was his favorite, and I managed to get 501st guy dressed up in that armor. But that went from there right into Clone Wars. I mean, that was like he was in it, – it was like, okay, when we go to a Star Wars convention, you know, that was what it was for him. It was like, that trooper armor! That trooper armor! I'm that trooper! I'm that trooper! And his excitement for that and those battles and stuff, uh, it, it won me over. I mean, I I am definitely a genuine Clone Wars fan. Uh, with enough, I'm actually able to value the show despite its ability to play rough in the sandbox. Uh, you know, I mean, I, he was able to draw me in enough that, you know, I do see those moments and stuff from that show as, as my Star Wars, just like those other ones, even though I, I do get where you're coming from. But I, I think moving into what you were talking about with your, with your kid and, and his quality of Star Wars and stuff like that, uh, I, I think, you know, value is is one of those things with the presentation, you know, how it's presented can make us appreciate it or or dislike it more. Uh, you know, I again I didn't like the show because originally how it was coming across to me was, you know, it's it's treading over things, it's just ruining things, it's just running rampant. But when I started watching and I was watching it with my son and it was like, hey dad, come and watch this with me. This is exciting. And we would sit down and as soon as the episode was over, he was really excited. So I was getting excited. And then as the show went on, you would get those really good episodes and stuff like Landing at Point Rain, the Pong Krell episodes, uh, Lawless, things like that. And, and I was just, oh, man, those were those were really fun moments. So I have a hard time now, you know, not associating those with Star Wars for myself because of the memories and stuff like that and the shared enjoyment that we had. Uh, but that gets back to that aspect of, you know, for our kids, what's, what's going on as it comes out. Hopefully they will be able to, you know, ride that enjoyment and be able to keep that. Uh, when it comes to valuing what came before, you're absolutely right. Uh, we will be a very select few that value the legend story, the characters. For me especially, it's going to be rough uh, with Luke Skywalker. He was one of my favorite characters in the EU. 
because of where he went. And I, I mean, I've already had people mention, you know, like uh, like Kyle Newman's outlook on that is as he's totally different in the EU than what he would see, which made me stop and think. I'm like, what? Where are we going to see Luke now then? Because I always thought what we saw in the EU was was the logical progression. It seemed to work. I mean, the the worst thing for me with Luke's progression was how long it took him to get a lot of those materials and stuff. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I've always been one of those that the EU was the it story. So now, you know, everything's wide open. So I, I just don't know where we're going to go with that. But again, it gets back to we are the few that are going to carry that torch and really value that. Uh, you had mentioned, you know, resenting Disney for for all of this. But I, I, I got to throw this question at you and, and to the general audience uh, that may feel this way. Do you resent Disney for buying or do you resent Lucas for selling? Uh, you know, I, I joked when Lucas sold originally that Lucas sold out, you know, <laughs> he finally did it. Uh, you know, he controlled something where he was the man and he didn't have to answer to a board of anybody. And he got rid of that. You know, he was the only one in the in that industry that really kind of had done that. And he gave that away. I mean, he, he's so there, there's that side of things, too. Like, yeah, Disney's causing all this, but they couldn't have done that had Lucas not decided I'm done. I'm done over here, and not only am I done over here, I want someone else to to play this this fiddle that I've been playing where I come in and dance all over things and rebuild things from the ashes. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard for me to hate Disney because I, I get a lot of good things from Disney. You know, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of shows. I mean, there's not – I'm not – just like the EU, you know, they, they put out some junk too, but – I, I have a hard time just blaming Disney. I've had a lot of fun at Disney resorts and things like that, the Disney films, and, and I liked what they've done with Marvel and stuff, that it's hard for me to hate on Disney over over a couple of these choices because I, I get back to these choices wouldn't have happened if Lucas hadn't been okay with it. Um, you know, and going forward, and the last thing I have to say, you know, you talk about the daily basis uh, of these negative feelings. You know, I feel you there. Anytime I walk by any of my stuff, you know, going to my bedroom, walking out to my studio. Uh, right now, my studio is, you know, we're, we're in the process of moving. But part of that, I think I, I've used that as an excuse to make my, my studio inaccessible. So I can't sit there and see all my stuff. Because when I do, you know, the, the last two books I have get really heavy. You know, I've got Darth Maul lockdown that I've just started reading and then I've got Honor Among Thieves and it, it's there are times where I just want to set it down and, and, and not read it and have something still in that universe that I haven't got to so I can have something to cherish it. But then I go back and forth. Well, if I never read it, then how am I going to cherish it? You know, I, and I, I mean, I, I'm there with you, man, on that feeling the negative and just the blue and sad and just being depressed by all this. I mean, yeah, we get all this, this great new stuff that, that on one hand I'm trying to lift myself up with, but it's really hard right now because the first ones in the fandom to get hit were the EU fans. And we just kept getting hit and kept getting hit. And, you know, I was begging for clarity and we finally got that clarity, but it was still a hit. I mean, you know, it wasn't like they said, and we're going to continue this Legends universe as an alternate universe, kind of along the lines of such and such, such, uh, you know, I mean, I, you've heard my optimism here with, you know, things like the Walking Dead and the Spider-Man universes and things like that, that they could do it. But there's that negative side, the, the side that, you know, the, the realist, the, the trying to be intellectually honest, you know, I got Nathan that doesn't believe it's going to happen. So if Nathan doesn't think it's going to happen, then I have to be honest to myself that there is probably a 99.99999% it's never going to happen. And yeah, that pisses me off. I really, truly think that there are enough fans out there that have read this, that that minority isn't as minor as we like to think that the minority is a minority of the fans that loved it all. You know, that there were enough casual fans out there to demand 
you know, that legends continue, that demand that characters like Jaina Solo and Mara Jade, whether they be in a new form, make the leap like Luke and Leia and, and Chewie did. You know, I, I there so yeah, I get I get being mad. You know, I, I really do. I I you know, again, we try to stay a family fun podcast. So I try not to get too negative with it, but I, I admit it'd be very easy to let my inner hater just go nuts. And I'm not saying you're a hater at all, sir. Uh, I just, I, I know that these feelings that we have when they're addressed out there on social media and stuff like that immediately resonate with people that have trolled or have been trolled and people want to quickly label us as haters. That's not the case. I do love George Lucas. I, I love everything he's created. I will give him hell to no end because, hey, sir, you earned it. You made Luke kiss his sister and <laughs> you made Han shoot second. And for these things, you know, I may be able to look the other way, but a part of me will never forgive you for that. Yes, let go of your anger. Release your hatred. Let it flow through you like Taco Bell washed down with cranberry juice. <laughs> What? Um, no, I I think one of the things um, that he mentioned there about about being wary of future quality. Um, I think maybe that's where I feel more optimistic, which is why I think maybe I can be a little bit one of the reasons why I can be maybe more uh, seeing this as just alternate universes, and this could still be an okay thing. Um, this could wind up turning out to be a good thing because there were times that it seemed like it was. When Clone Wars, the cartoon series, was less in the hands of Lucas and more in the hands of Filoni and even Katie Lucas, as opposed to George, it felt more Star Wars than it did otherwise. Um, there's that old line about how, you know, for years, many have said that what was wrong with Star Wars was Lucas. That he sort of got his own vision in the beginning and then... Years of thinking it over and pondering it and changing his ideas and revisionist history and, you know, well, I always said this when I actually didn't always say this, kind of changed him to sort of a, I'm going to change things for the sake of changing. I think the Moraband, Koraband thing is probably the epitome of, I'm just going to change it for the hell of it. Or if that's not it, how about, yes, we said Greedo and bringing Greedo back for no reason. Or, hey, this character, Quinlan Boss, looks cool, so let's bring him in and completely change his character, etc., etc., etc. With Lucas out of the mix... That is the only time that a story group could actually work. I applaud the fact that as soon as he left, one of the first things they said was, they're going to be a story group, we're going to make this all work. All future things are going to be meant to tie together. It was sort of their way of implicitly saying, because Lucas is out of the effing way. Now we can actually do something that is meant to be cohesive, because there is no big grandpappy up on the hill who will come down from time to time and kick the living crap out of the sand castles we just built. Um, add to that the fact that while I don't know Kevin Hearn from Adam, but we've got Paul S. Kemp, James Luceno, and above all, John Jackson Miller coming in and writing the first books in this series. And you've got Jeremy Barlow doing the comic book adaptation, so to speak, of the unproduced Clone Wars scripts for Son of Dathomir. The saga, from an EU, if you want to call it that standpoint, from a publishing standpoint, is in pretty good shape um, to have, at least as far as creative talent goes, um, as far as what we've got from Rebels that's coming, Filoni, without Lucas, sounds like we're in pretty good shape, relatively speaking. Um, as for Abrams, who knows? Sometimes he does good things, sometimes it turns out being a turd. It just kind of depends. Um, Kirshner being involved, that's a good thing. It seems as though the potential is there for this to be as good or and even better over time 
version of an expansion of Star Wars. And maybe this time, because of who they've got, they really can keep that original trilogy feeling. Kind of one of those things that, that Andrew said, that maybe they can latch onto that as opposed to using the prequel era as really a model for this. Uh, there's a quote, and I forget who said it, that basically the Clone Wars is pretty much wrapped up. It may have actually been Dave Filoni talking to Barrett uh, when he asked him questions that we reported in our data burst for Rebels Roundtable, um, where basically those characters probably won't be showing up again in Rebels, at least not anytime sooner. There are no current plans, because that era is pretty much closed off. You know, if that's the case and the feel reverts back to what we fell in love with as kids watching these films, then that's a good thing. Um, Legends can still exist as it was, but, you know, we got to wonder, what would Star Wars have been like if the development of Star Wars stayed more space fantasy than it was sci-fi? If anything, it'll be an interesting experiment uh, to wind up seeing by the time, you know, all is said and done here. Um, now, he did give us one quick addendum, uh, having listened to the show, want to address that real quick, and then uh, I've got a quick announcement to make as far as uh, the future of one of the projects that I hadn't even really thought about or talked about uh, in light of this big announcement. And then I wanted to suggest to Mark here uh, a couple different possible show ideas for maybe the next three episodes or so. Um, so he listened to our show, the one in which we talked about our feelings on all of this initially, and he sent in the following. As an addendum to my feedback, again, to use or ignore as you want after listening to the show, I do see what you're saying about the three options, uh, the three options that I had talked about, about really they only had three choices when it came to what they were going to do when Disney planned on making these new films. Uh, number one, incorporate it all. That was where I basically said that they could just make it so that the films have to stay true to the EU, but that means audiences would be stuck with that backstory and having to understand it. Number two, do what they did. Again, separating it out into separate continuities. Number three, smash through. Say so kind of like a wrecking ball, do like with the Clone Wars, destroy some, leave some, make it kind of a continuity mess. That does leave off another option, he says. Number four, do something elsewhere in the timeline or galaxy that doesn't impact on the EU. But while I cannot disagree with your opinions in principle, the fact remains I would much sooner go with number five. Don't make another Star Wars movie. Maybe it'll blow us away. But based on the last three we got, the potential for a new movie or a movie series does not equal the quality and storylines being lost in trade to it. Is that a smart move for Disney, who wants to make money? No, of course not. I can't foresee them doing anything other than what they did, or options number one or number four, if they really wanted to stand out from the pack and make a statement about how they treat fandoms in the latter case. In that sense, I don't fault them. And while they could have gone those other routes, I would hardly expect that. But as a fan, I would still much rather have left it at six films, or heck, at three, honestly with a lot of great stories for future fans to discover and love than 7 Plus without that. I wish Star Wars on the screen had retired with Lucas. Not having received that wish, I understand that Disney's doing what's best and logical for Disney. It's just not what's best, even if it may be logical, for the EU. And I fear, for the reasons I spelled out earlier, that it may not be what's best for Star Wars overall. Though, it could be. If the new EU could maintain a higher quality standard, than the recent EU. That ends his thoughts here. Um, Mark, any thoughts on that? You know, I, I actually got to admit, uh, you know, option four is probably a really cool idea. And, you know, at that time, I was really kind of one of those that was really hoping that Disney was going to legitimize the EU versus, uh, you know, 
set it free. It, although for me, you know, setting it free was a form of legitimization. But I don't know if I would be okay with the do nothing necessarily. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking in the regards of, you know, time will tell if we still feel the way we are or even you, Andrew, you know, what are we going to feel like 15 years from 2015? You know, when we've had 15 years of Star Wars films, would we looking back on it want option five? Um, and I'm the type that, you know, I, I look at Marvel kind of stuff because I've always been a big Marvel fan and, you know, even the junk Marvel films that we got, I, I've always felt that they were fun rides, even if they missed the target. So I don't know if I would be a champion for the fifth option. Uh, the fourth one, definitely. Um, and the way they went, I really, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that, you know, someone out there starts some kind of, I, I, I don't want to use the word petition cause that never goes well, but I don't know. They did the save the Clone Wars. Can they do save Legends or something? I I would love to see that be something in fandom that by the time Celebration Anaheim comes along, it's really kind of picked up momentum, and you know it's it's one of those things that a lot of people kind of pick up to. And and I'd love to see it be equal to the save the Clone Wars in you know how many people kind of get behind it. I would love to see even casual fans be like, yeah, you know, save that legends group, you know, don't, don't just torture these EU fans just because you can. Which would be the equivalent of coming over and patting us on the head. It would be just as successful as save the clone wars. I got to say, at least that'd be my guess. Um, I think on this, um, I appreciate the fact that he does respond to those different possibilities. Um, but it raises an interesting question and this is where my thoughts come on future episodes here. Um, we had said that in the near future, probably our next episode, we're going to take the time to talk about our thoughts on Clone Wars Season 6 as a whole. Now that we're done recording for Rebels Roundtable slash Republic Forces Radio Network for that part of Clone Wars, um, we wanted to sort of finish up that series given the fact that we have talked about it before each season in turn with episodes of the show. Um, but my thoughts would be that after that, once we get a chance to gather more feedback, Maybe we should do because we still have some feedback that's come in since that feedback episode or since that uh, episode about this that are sitting there in our mailbox from other people who want their voices to be heard. Maybe a second one on the audience's opinions of the whole issue now that a little bit of time has passed is perhaps warranted to get in other voices that haven't said anything about it before. And I'd be very interested in the opinions of the audience on that that primary question there whether or not there would be a point at which you would have said it would have been better not to have had certain Star Wars films. Like, would it have been better if there were no more Star Wars films forward from this point, which would have meant the Legends thing didn't have to be shifted? Would it have been perhaps better if the prequels had never existed and the EU had developed organically from where it was as of, say, late 1990s? Um, whether or not Star Wars as a whole should have been allowed to continue in publishing even without films. But we got to take an intellectually honest tack on that, though, because if you take out those films, that does mean that public interest and public perceptions of Star Wars would definitely be different. Got to kind of take those into account. But I'm curious, uh, at what point, if you were to say stopping Star Wars films, should it have been? Um, should there have come a point where you would have preferred certain Star Wars films not exist uh, uh, from that point forward and such. Basically, the, the situation he laid out there with number five, don't make the film exist because of what effect it's going to have there. Uh, I think that would I think that would work. Mark, does that sound good for maybe our next couple? 
Yeah, that definitely sounds like something we could do. We could hit the Clone Wars Season 6, do that coverage, get the Clone Wars all wrapped up and out of the way from the Star Wars Beyond the Film standpoint, uh, give the listeners time there to get their uh, last-minute stuff in, answer that little uh, one-through-five question there. And Yeah, yeah that definitely something that's fun. I mean, that's definitely something since this news kind of came out. It's It's been one of those platforms that mm. were kind of become for a lot of fans out there feeling like they've got nowhere to go. And no, you know, a lot of people don't even know what's going on. You know, you're still getting people going. So, what's going on with the new EU? And it's like there's no new EU, uh, you know. And and it's going to be rough for us as EU fans because we've always called everything that was books, comics, and games expanded universe, and that concept is now shattered. I mean, I've been calling it D canon. In a minute, we're just going to be calling it the saga moving forward. But we've always called Star Wars the saga and. Yeah, it's weird that they never labeled it. So there's, I, I think, you know, in a lot of ways that these kind of episodes will be helpful or maybe even uh, cathartic for everybody. Hopefully. And then at some point we still, I mean, there's all kinds of ideas we've talked about before. At some point we need to have me sit down during the summer so we can do an episode. Uh, we we're going to look at the idea of all the different home video collecting stuff and the different stuff out there that I've learned since going through mm-hmm. and doing that video series. Um, but speaking of other projects, as we're rounding things out here, um, one thing that I would, I guess, announce, I didn't even think of, I put the post over on, I guess it was my Timelines Facebook page, but the one project I hadn't even stopped and considered really much in relation to the new canon announcement was my Star Wars EU Primer podcast. In my Star Wars Timeline Gold in the appendices file, I have a bunch of just oddball items, and one of them is a primer of what's now the Legends Timeline, sort of a guide of if you're going to you know, jump in, Here's the backstory that you need on the essential elements of the story and such. Sort of a uh, a little bit smaller than, say, the essential chronology, but at the same time, uh, more compact, maybe hopefully more user-friendly in some cases. And I had taken, a few years ago, to taking that and recording it as a podcast that was then released as five, I think it is, episodes, so people could listen to it as a way of catching up on where the timeline is up to that point. Which you can also find links to at StarWarsReport.com. That's right. Um, right now, it, the, I just don't see a point of it, really, anymore. It, at some point, I've got to start narrowing my focus in the stuff that I'm involved with. Otherwise, I'm going to wind up not having time to work on things like the timeline that are sort of the biggest focus for me. Um, and the more I thought about it, the more it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to keep that podcast going. It is basically a primer that will no longer grow, really, about a timeline that is no longer the primary one that, if anything, will probably wind up confusing people, especially the new people coming into the saga who are exactly who it was made for in the first place. Um, so as of when I release the next edition of the Star Wars Timeline Gold, which is probably going to be like late July, early August, when that release finally comes out, rather than releasing an updated version of that primer, I will be removing it completely. Um, it will be gone. The project will be dead. The primer as it exists in the timeline's appendices, yeah, that'll stay there, and I'll labor it as like a Legends primer or something. Um, Because the timeline documents make it a point to point out what's Legends and what's not. But as a podcast, it's done. So if you're going to pick those up, pick up the edition as it exists right now, because it will not be coming back. Uh, From the Star Wars Library video series, probably coming back, though maybe in a more compressed form as far as books maybe being treated as trilogies, say, rather than individually. I got a question on your prime real quick. Uh, how far did you get before, you know, the next update was due? I mean, what books were not as of as of, you know, right now included in that primer? In the primer? 
nothing. I haven't touched the primers since I recorded the one made last year. I always go through and do the major timeline work, and then one of the last things that I do is to go to the primer. I update the text of it, highlight what's updated, um, grab the old episodes, uh, and then basically splice new recordings into the old recordings to add that new information or change the information that needs to be changed. So, I mean, at this point, those with a very keen auditory ear um, are probably going to wind up hearing that, and they can tell when the new parts were spliced in anyway, though after compression it's not as easy to spot. Um, so at some point I thought about going back and re-recording the whole thing anyway, had the EU continued as the official continuation, but now I just mm -hmm. I don't see it. Um, but from the Star Wars library, that'll probably still keep going, albeit in odd ways, maybe with a little bit of a hiatus, I don't know. From the Star Wars home video library, yeah, that'll definitely continue. The Star Wars Timeline Gold definitely continues. The podcasting definitely continues with regard to Star Wars Beyond the Films, Rebels Roundtable, and such. But the EU primer, yeah, it's it's going to be gone. It'll be sort of part of the history of that 12 years, I guess, in podcasting of mine, um, alongside things like Chrono Radio, which I guess isn't that bad a place to be, but it will not be coming back with new episodes, new revisions. Yeah, and you probably noticed at the beginning of this episode, you know, we are slowly phasing out how often we refer to the EU uh, in, in our show notes and things like that. You know, we're now no longer your ticket to the EU or your ticket to a galaxy far, far away. That doesn't mean that our focus is going to change. You know, we're still going to be talking about Legends products. But at the same time, we didn't want to limit ourselves to that. You know, I mean, we may no longer be advertised as, you know, the Expanded Universe podcast anymore because we are doing more than that. But we're definitely still a Star Wars discussion podcast. And we are probably one of the few podcasts out there that are going to be talking to you about the differences between these two galaxies. While the one may be considered dead by most of the fandom, even though it may not be growing, to me it will always be a living, breathing thing that I love. And that love will be something that I hopefully will be able to share with everyone else. And I know Nathan's right there with me when it comes to that. Uh, there's so many works out there in the Legends universe that we were always hoping to hit on. Uh, you know, we never got to New Jedi Order and stuff like that. So that stuff's not going to stop. Uh, but as the new products come down the line, you know, we're going to talk about that stuff too. We will, of course, be one of those that, that are very blunt and upfront about the fact that, okay, this is a Legends work. And this is not, you know, I will be calling it D canon. Nathan will be calling it story group canon, story group approved, whatever it's going to be called. Uh, but we'll be doing our best to try to clarify that so there will be less of that confusion. One of the things I, I liked about your EU primer, Nathan, and, and be sad to see it go, if it, maybe we'll end up keeping it just on the Star Wars report on its little tab or something, was if you did want to get into this, it was a really cool tool to just kind of get a quick rehash. Or, or even for those of you out there that are in a position like me and Nathan that want to go back and reread your books, or if you're in a position like Andrew where you're just kind of like, eh, I don't want this new stuff, I just want to go back and reread my old stuff, the primer's really cool in the regards of it. It'll catch you up on stuff without having to go back and flip through the books and you can just jump back into that with a quick refresher uh, and I, I like that I always thought that was a really cool tool and that was one of the main things I like to use it for because then I don't have to sit there and what happened in the book what happened in the book okay all right yeah now I can jump back into this book so it's cool I, I like that and that is one of the things that we're going to be out there you know the educational aspects of our show because as fandom has grown as Star Wars has grown as these works have grown our understanding of it has always been kind of murky and uh, it's nice to have people out there that are kind of like trying to sift through it and explain it to everyone. And you know, while we might not have the answers, we're definitely willing to give it a, a go. Yeah, you'll definitely want to check out the new Star Wars Timeline Gold when it gets released in August. Lots of changes happen to that now to try to make this all very clear, including ditching the entire original 
uh, levels of canon or levels of officiality discussion in place of a new section, a little more succinct and more historical in a sense, uh, called Understanding Canon, canon in quotes. It'll be, um, I think, a useful document for, for all the fans. Hopefully doing the same type of thing um, that the primer itself did, only in this case, you know, with a new continuity coming, at least for a while, there won't be a need for something like that, hopefully. Something like a primer, because there'll only be a few books to read anyway. Uh, at least, hopefully, hopefully they won't deluge us with things, because usually when you have quantity over quality, you wind up with a lot of crap. And now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website's second airborne division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes both on Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you comment to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. If you have any other Star Wars and or Legends EU questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. Also remember, we've got these episodes coming up, so if you have any thoughts about Legends, fire those off to SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles that you can explore the Star Wars Legends universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making a switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying, thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. In reference to our previous episode, uh, that a lot of Audible customers might have picked up uh, Razor's Edge and thought, yep, I'm going to take advantage of that. I'm unsatisfied. Replace it. Odds are there's one of you out there that is going to do that, I believe. And what are the odds that we're going to get flamed for this episode? Oh, I would, I would see that coming, but, you know, if you can't tell it like it is and you can't embrace all points of view, um, then you'd be, well, some of those other podcasts out there that shower me. Uh-oh, somebody's at the door. <laughs> oh, no, they're here for you, Whistler. <laughs> It almost feels wrong without the ending of that. That's right, Whistler. Oh, 
El Camino. <laughs> That's right, that Whistler. We gonna talk backwards. <laughs> we just don't talk. I don't know even why. I looked at Welcome and I said, Did you know Taco Cat is Taco Cat backwards? <laughs> Dude, oh my god. I was just talking about that today. <laughs> I'm on the even supplied a picture of the Taco Cat. <laughs> like race car. But there's that other side of me, you know, that devil's advocate that's just whispering in my ear going, They killed it. They killed it all. Bail. Bail now while you can. Picking me up. Picking me up. It's... <clears throat> Try to give you a little space there so you know that when I... Not only can you... Maybe you... God. My eyes are going nuts. Hold on. Wow. It started spasming like nobody's business. Even your it's... eyes are like, screw you, Lucas. Man. I know. I'm not going to focus on this shit. <laughs>